The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Do you find that more things are irritating you than perhaps used to? I certainly blame age for that. I mean, very few things anger me. I mean, there are a couple of, a handful of things that really enrage me. A handful of things infuriate me. People littering angers me. It's not, you know, it's, it, it's, it's on the list of things that really annoy because it's inevitable that whatever you dump on the street is going to get flushed into the water system. It's going to, in some form, whether it's in microparticles or whether it be in the form of whatever it was that you chucked onto the street, it'll end up in the ocean and ultimately get washed back onto the shore and affect sea life and destroy the planet. It's a, it's a catastrophic cycle. And somebody who's taken that annoyance to a new level is Ania Umardin, who is the founder and director of The Beach Co-op. Ania, what is The Beach Co-op? Hi there. Good evening, everyone. Um, So The Beach Co-op is a non-profit organization which really started as a volunteer group back in 2015 and then later got registered as a non-profit in 2017. And our vision is to connect ocean communities, government and business, and to create, collaborate and care to protect, restore and regenerate our coastal heritage. And we do that by hosting beach cleanups as one why, of the why, ways. Why did you start? What was the catalyst for you going you know, this far and, and no further? Um, it's a very interesting question. I worked for many years, close to 10 years, at WWF South Africa on the Marine Program, and I left when I was pregnant with my first son. Um, and so be, becoming a mother meant that that became more or less my full-time job, but I wanted to give back to um, the place that I spent a lot of time at, and that was the beach with my kids. Um, eventually, kids. (laughs) And so I reached out to a few of my ex-colleagues and one of them was Professor Peter Ryan. And I wanted to find out how I could support or help any projects that were currently um, on the go in conservation. And the project that Peter suggested and recommended was one that spoke to my need to give back to, to my local surf break, really, which was Musenberg and is Musenberg. And so he suggested that we started cleaning the rocky shore um, at Surface Corner um, because he's been doing research along our South African coastline for over 40 years. And he wanted to see what we would find in the rocky shore versus the sandy beaches, which he'd been studying. And that's that's really how the beach carp started. And the heart of the beach carp is a Surface Corner at at Musenberg and we still do regular new moon cleanups there and we've done so for the last six years actually I mean it's wonderful wonderfully satisfying for everybody who's involved I'm sure it's very sociable I'm sure it's very fulfilling to fill bags up with tons of stuff that people throw away but it must be 
very tedious to be doing this almost like Groundhog Day on repeat and exactly the same stuff, washing up and you picking it up and putting it into the bags and taking it and disposing of it responsibly um, because yeah. you're dealing with the symptom, not the cause. Um, and I know that that's a, a far bigger a, a far bigger issue. Uh, how? What is your experience of these regular new moon cleanups um, and the way in which it's, it goes on repeat? Yeah, so what's actually been interesting is is we've seen a difference at Surface Corner because we've been cleaning it regularly for six years, every month, every new moon. Um, but in addition to doing these new moon cleanups, we also have um, cleanups that happen on other beaches along our South African coastline, so not only in Cape Town. Um, and what we encourage people to to use is the dirty dozen methodology. And this, again, comes from Peter's research and him noticing some of these common items. So the dirty dozen is made up of things like plastic bags, straws, individual sweet wrappers, chip packets. So it's a way, it's a citizen science approach. And ultimately, we ask our participants to um, help us collect data. And so through this experiential learning process, we're hoping to change behavior and for people to become more aware and to purchase less single-use plastic when they're at the shop. So it's the the tail end of the chain of custody, yes, but it's a means for individuals to feel that they can somehow contribute. And that's not to say that big businesses shouldn't be held accountable for producing what we end up finding on our beaches and in our waterways. Um, but it certainly is one of the ways in which we can address and tackle this catastrophic problem. I mean, it, it is, and it's a time bomb, and it's terrifying, and it's all of these various things, and a lot of people get absolutely enraged, and I think somewhere deep down, you are deeply enraged, despite your very calm and measured <laughs> discussion on this issue, because you engage something um, that you call delicate activism. What is delicate activism? It's an approach um, that I'm learning Oh, it, it is approach that I am using. And in a way, it's, it's not to address things in a harsh, confrontational way, but to rather bring people along. And of course, you know, we, we live in South Africa. We have to uh, engage with the fact that not everyone has access to beautiful beaches or, or um the possibility of their waste actually being collected. And and we need to work within that framework and try and bring people from diverse backgrounds along with us. Some people haven't been exp- uh, haven't had the opportunity to experience swimming or even enjoying an ocean space for that matter. So what we try and do at the Beach Club is also encourage um this awe and awareness and um, understanding of how beautiful and and biodiverse our marine environment is. So at our new moon cleanups, for example, sure, we, we do regular cleanups, but we encourage people to get lost and um, try and find different plants and animals and creatures whilst they go about cleaning. So we have our identity books alongside us, 
um, alongside the, the plastic bags and the reusable bags to encourage people to, to also enjoy that space. And I really feel that through caring and um, for, for our marine environment and, and also getting lost in, in the wonder and awe, people will tend to then want to protect our marine environment. So that's how I describe delicate activism. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and it, and it's and it's lovely, uh, but I mean, in a country where activism is traditionally very loud and very shouty and can be a little bit destructive, um, you're you're opting for a softly, softly approach. Talk. I, I want to find out from you in a moment um, how that works and how you see the results come by as a result of a very patient approach, a, a very understanding approach, a very inclusive approach, which over the long term I think has only got to be more successful, but. The crisis is short-term. The crisis is now. So how does that work more with our guest this evening, the founder and director of The Beach Co-op, Ania Omardin, this evening on the line to us from Cape Town. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Ania Omardin has got the ocean in her blood. She's the founder and director of The Beach Co-op, and it emerged as a result of her wanting to help improve the environment which she loves and which she was taking her children to, but finding increasingly polluted. And so a collaborative effort to get this idea of a collaborative approach, this delicate activism. And I, does it work better than Tabo Mbeki's quiet diplomacy did in Zimbabwe, Ania? Um, so getting back to delicate activism and why I've chosen to to work in this way um, really for me the traditional way conservation has been done in South Africa um, I feel hasn't really worked either and that's mainly to have Mm. people out and um, not involved in, in a collaborative way at all and so Yes, it takes time and it takes longer, but I think it's 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 definitely um, bringing people along um, that will hopefully result in in a cleaner environment and and in a stewardship, the the ownership of our hydro commons in this case, something that is a common resource that we all share and that we all benefit from, um, is important. So. You know, at the Beach Cop, we we tend to work with artists. We've done quite a bit of work with with Claire Homewood um, at some of our tidal pools here in False Bay to share the knowledge of what we're seeing in our tidal pools and have them depicted along the wall. Um, We've got a new one coming out in November, hopefully, with some of the the rocky shore life um, that we find at Surface Corner. We work with poets, currently working with Tony Giselle Stewart on a poem for COP26, actually, um, and trying to understand how, you know, plastic pollution and and making that connection between fossil fuel emission. Um, And and then also this collaborative approach of involving people in the work that we do. And then we've included dance in some of our cleanups as well and as, as an expression. And and then there's ceremonies as well, having some of the Khoisan chiefs, chiefs come and bless the work that we do. Um, so really trying to get people from all walks of life and, and drawing on different interests to help us conserve, protect, restore, regenerate our coastal heritage. 
Uh, how much influence are you getting, for example, with, say, the city of Cape Town, which uh, I think is quite proactive, but you know, the government keeps telling us it can't do things by itself. Uh, do you have a collaborative effort with them? You talk about the cleaning of the tidal pools uh, and that sort of thing, which is the job, I think, of that uh, of that municipality. How do you collaborate then with officialdom? Very, very well. Actually, we have a wonderful relationship with Greg Olofsson, from the city of Cape Town, and they've been instrumental in working with us on changing the cleaning protocols for the tidal pools. Um, A few years ago, uh, Lisa Beasley was part of our team, and she spearheaded um, the work that was done to try and work with local communities in Cork Bay and St. James, and, and to convince people that we no longer needed to drain the tidal pools. Um, which is the most harsh impact on the plant and animal life in in the pools, and then to use chemicals. So we tested some new ideas with a high-pressure hose. And and as a result, we've we've changed the way our tidal pools are cleaned in Cape Town. Um, And we've had communication from people in Australia who were interested in how we did it. And um, really, it's, it's been a fantastic win. And out of that, uh, I mentioned earlier, we worked with Claire to produce um, some of the art that you find at St. James Tidal Pool. And, and then through that, the city of Cape Town has been um, very supportive. And we've also got stenciled um, graffiti art at Glenken Tidal Pool and at Camps Bay Tidal Pool. And, and later on um, in November, um, on the 14th, I think it is, or 15th of November, we're working with Save Our Seas Foundation and um, Delbrook Cafe and The Good Machine. And we'll have a run from the deli in Constantia all the way to Delbrook Cafe and support of of the work that we do at the Beach Cup. So all the proceeds will come to us. And at the same time, Claire will be working on on an art piece um, at Delbrook um, Tidal Pool. So the slogan for um, for the artwork is meet the locals. And really it's an inclusive relational way of locals not only being humans, but the more than human as well. Um, and for, for a lot of people listening to this, particularly people living inland in Gauteng, listening to you going, OK, that's very nice. But what impact, what difference are you really having? I mean, you know, you're not you're not burning tires in the road. You're not going off to COP17 and telling um, who's the young woman. Oh, I've forgotten her name. I've just had this like brain freeze. The remarkable Scandinavian uh, woman who... Greta Thunberg, thank you. How dare I forget Greta's name? Um, you know, she goes and she tells uncomfortable truths, and she goes in hard, and she's uncompromising, and she's confrontational. Um, how do you yeah. see your approach complementing that far more public face of of, of um, agitation against the destruction? And you know, the planet is being destroyed far more quickly than we are restoring it. And it feels like we're in a bit of a state of climate emergency. We definitely are. And don't get me wrong, I, I definitely suffer from eco-anxiety, albeit more recently than, um, you know, um, than it, uh, I'm actually surprised that it did catch up with me because I, I am an optimist, but the last um, 
spill of nurdles, um, which we witnessed in August last year. Nurdles are these microplastic beads that sort of get washed up and they, they're tiny and then the, the sea life eats these things, swallows them, and that toxicity yeah, persists in the environment. So the, the spill happened in August off um, our east coast and there were containers of them. So they're actually the raw materials from which other plastic products get made. They're also referred to as mermaid's tears. So, so there aren't there aren't tiny bits of microplastics that have broken up from bigger um, bigger plastic products. They're actually the raw materials to make those plastic products. Right. Um, and and we had um, so containers fall off a ship, basically. And and there's been an operation, a huge operation to clean up. Um, along our South African coastline by an insurance company called Spiltech with teams of people in their red overalls cleaning up our coastline. And so that really uh, triggered um, me quite intensely. And I I had to struggle through. And and the way I I coped with that was by spending time in nature. That is really um, how I I coped. Um, and yes, we do need to be clear that, um, you know, we're in this dire state, as as you say, as you describe. And I think there's definitely a place for for the harshness. It's just not the approach that we're taking. Mm. No, look, uh, I think that's, there are many different ways of approaching it, and uh, you will have resonance with a with an audience that is put off by loud activism. And so I think it, it's a it's a smart way of approaching it. Are you making progress? Do you feel like you are? making the the sort of progress that is is having a positive impact? I feel that we are. You know, I I do think that we um, need to build stronger partnerships, particularly with with our corporate partners and the big businesses. And, And now with the latest legislation out, the extended producer responsibility legislation, which is part of the Waste Management Act, um corporates and big businesses that produce plastic uh, or products that have single-use plastic in their product, uh, packaging in particular, um, they are needing to ensure that they're responsible for how that product ends up where, right? So that they need... Yeah, and, and so this coming into play um, is really of interest to, to me and the beach car um, because we'd like to use our consumer uh, uh, voice in this in this process ah. and not, you know, really activating consumers to put pressure on these businesses to ensure that they adhere to the legislation and that they take responsibility for the products that they put on the market so that we don't continue cleaning up after them. They need to be cleaning up after themselves. Well, clean up before before it becomes a problem. Ania, we must leave it there. And I thank you very much for coming through for us this evening. Ania Omadin, the founder and director at the Beach Co-op. Yes, a a warning to companies that, of course, produce the sort of stuff that gets chucked away. You do need to approach it differently.